doing this for a long time now, as you noted earlier. I'll start my 24th year as a university president in early 2019. So, um, so not too many people have have that kind of opportunity. The average length of a the university presidency is about six and a half years, and so um, I've been blessed to be able to continue and to and to, to do so as an evangelical Baptist and a Baptist evangelical. Does doctrine really matter? The Apostle Paul once wrote to a young pastor named Titus, instructing him to hold firm to the trustworthy word he was taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Welcome to Credo Podcast, where doctrine matters and theological ideas have consequences. Here's your host, Dr. Matthew Barrett, executive editor of Credo Magazine and associate professor of Christian theology at Midwestern Seminary. Welcome to the Credo Podcast, where doctrine matters. I am Matthew Barrett, your host. You know, when we look at churches and theological institutions of the 20th century and even of past past centuries, one thing that is undoubtedly true and sometimes painfully true is that churches, institutions, uh, parachurch organizations even, they often fall and rise with their leaders. Uh, it's It's a reminder to us that leaders matter and their decisions can impact not just individuals, but entire churches or institutions at large. Theology and leadership are sometimes thought of as irrelevant to one another, as if these are two different uh, spheres that uh, have nothing to do with one another. But if you look at a church or a theological institution, it doesn't take long to realize that Actually, theology matters for leadership, and leadership matters for theology as well. When we look at the leaders of our own time in the 20th century and now the 21st century, there are many leaders that have done an outstanding job of leading institutions and churches, but one that comes to my mind almost immediately is David Dockery, who is president of Trinity International University where he has served since 2014. Actually, if you you add up his total years, I believe I'm right in saying that that he's been now serving as a president of a university for 23 or maybe more, 23 plus years. And before he was at Trinity, he was at Union University for 18 years there as well. He's the author, and many of our listeners may have read many of his books. Uh, He's the author and editor of more than 30 books, I think writing on topics uh, like the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, uh, hermeneutics or biblical interpretation, a Christian worldview. He's written a lot on Christian higher education and been so fruitful uh, on that subject, as well as Southern Baptists and evangelicalism. And he's also written on the subject of postmodernism. Well, I could go on. His books and, and his writing cover a, a large, large scope of subjects. And he is one of the leading evangelicals and Southern Baptists of our own day. David, thank you for joining me on the Credo Podcast. It's a joy to be with you, Matthew. I'm very grateful for this uh, invitation, 
and thank you for your incredibly generous uh, introduction. Well, I think the place to begin is perhaps with your own story. I, I, I believe I've heard it before in a number of other venues or in different ways, but I'd love for for us to go back and visit some of those early days. Uh, you, you've been a Southern Baptist for most of your life, I think, but there was a time when being an evangelical and a Southern Baptist seemed impossible uh, due to the, the rise of, of uh, Protestant liberalism, which had a, a grip and an influence uh, in your early days, but in God's providence, you joined the faculty uh, early on at Criswell, and then at, and then at uh, Southern Seminary teaching certain classes. How in the world did that happen uh, when liberalism had such influence over not just institutions, but entire denominations, one of them being the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, um my, my, I had the wonderful privilege of growing up in a very faithful Christian home. And my mother and dad were both uh, followers of Christ and very faithful church people. And every time the doors of the church were open, we were there. Um, not unlike uh, uh, Timothy's story in the New Testament, uh, my mother was my first Bible teacher, and uh, I learned Bible verses and Bible stories from her, and I'm very grateful for her uh, influence, her love for Jesus, and her love for the Bible were evident to, to me. But I really didn't uh, develop personal convictions about those things, Um until I was a college student at the University of Alabama, and that came uh, largely through the influence of uh, campus ministries there on the University of Alabama campus, uh, where I learned to study the Bible seriously. I learned how to share my faith with others, learned how to talk about the Christian faith and do uh, kind of some basic apologetics. Uh, learn basic Christian doctrine. And those began to shape my life in powerful ways during my sophomore, junior years at the university. I began to read people like Francis Schaeffer and be exposed to a broader understanding of, of Christianity. And I began to sense that God was leading me to... Uh, into some kind of Christian ministry. I didn't really understand what that might mean um, in terms of particulars, but I knew I wanted to study the Bible and teach the Bible and to follow the Lord's leading in my life. And so when I graduated from the University of Alabama, I went to, to seminary and I had the privilege of studying with outstanding faculty and professors who shaped my thinking and formed the direction of my life and really made a difference. But during my time at Southwestern Seminary uh, at Fort Worth, Texas, um, I, had to, I had the privilege of studying with three people in particular that made, it, made a real difference. Uh, Russ Bush, who had for philosophy and philosophical theology and really grounded my 
commitment to biblical inerrancy and uh, inspiration of scripture. And with Robert Sloan in the area of biblical theology, who taught me or helped me understand better the relationship between the Testaments, uh, the dynamic of the theme of kingdom and covenants, and the connection of the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then with the premier Baptist theologian of that time, James Leo Garrett, Jr., uh, who, from whom I learned historical theology and systematic theology, and uh, Baptist was exposed to a more broad understanding of Baptist thinkers. Uh, those three people in particular really shaped my, you know, my identity as a Baptist and as an evangelical, and I was very blessed by them. I, I went on to study with with uh, others at uh, Texas Christian University and the University of Texas and was exposed to a much broader uh, secular and liberal perspectives there, which allowed me to learn how to interact with those with whom I differed. Uh, but all of that was shaping for my uh, life and ministry. And uh, following my time at Southwestern, Lamise, my wife, and I went to serve a church in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, that there I learned how to relate cross-culturally, you know, different, uh, with people different. You know, I was raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and going to Brooklyn was like uh, going to a foreign mission field for us. <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, it, it was a wonderfully uh, rich time. And then from there, as you mentioned, I was called to serve on the faculty at the Criswell College in Dallas. Texas, where I taught theology in New Testament for several years before being invited in 1988 to be one of the first uh, conservative evangelical faculty members on the faculty at Southern Seminary, again, teaching in those two areas of theology and New Testament. And so, you know, the Lord blessed my life and gave me opportunities, uh, including to be the editor of the New American Commentary about that time, and then to begin to serve in administration when I was invited to serve as dean and chief academic officer at Southern Seminary in 1992. So those were, um, you know, amazing things that happened along the way, and God in His goodness provided the right teachers and helpers and supporters and sponsors, ambassadors, mentors uh, along the way that uh, helped focus my convictions and keep me uh, grounded in the in the scriptures, uh, which was so vitally important for all the things that were happening uh, around me. Now, when you think back to those days and, and how helpful it is to hear about some of those who influenced you uh, at Southwestern, Russ Bush, Robert Sloan, James Leo Garrett, um, these are, are, are individuals who uh, played such a significant role in uh, evangelicalism and Southern Baptist life. Um, many of them, I, I think, for example, of Rush Bush, and his his work on uh, Baptists and the the authority and inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, um, his work uh, eventually with Tom Nettles on, on that topic, and uh, wow, I mean how 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 crucial 
voices like his were. Um, and, and you see that just in, in his influence on you uh, and uh, passing on that baton uh, in, in your own leadership. But when we look at uh, your time uh, during those early days, say at Southern Seminary, uh, it's no secret that uh, there were some some difficult years uh, to to understate it, uh, with uh, the 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 tension between uh, theological liberalism and then, as you mentioned, you hinted at you you said you introduced it by saying in, in 1988 you were the the first uh, conservative uh, to 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 then enter onto the faculty. What was that like? And uh, during that time, what biblical convictions of yours were, were put to the test? And, and what, what biblical convictions proved critical in your own experience during those years to, to the retrieval of evangelical theology? <clears throat> it, the Southern Baptist Convention, starting in the 1950s, had uh, started to drift in a more moderate, uh, more progressive directions, um, and were fairly, becoming fairly widespread by the 50s and 60s. You can find roots of this early on. Uh, as some minor examples in the late 19th century, and then others uh, who began to have a a progressive view of Scripture and uh, tendencies toward universalism, the doctrine of salvation uh, present uh, on the faculties at Southern Seminary in the early years of the 20th century. Um, So it it was incipient in incipient forms then, but became more prominent in the 1950s and then became evident for everybody in Southern Baptist life to see uh, in the early 1960s when Ralph Elliott published a book called The Message of Genesis, uh, and Ralph Elliott taught at Midwestern Seminary, where you are currently uh, serving, and uh, the book was uh, highly controversial and rejected uh, the truthfulness of uh, the biblical accounts of everything before Genesis 22. Wow. Um, pretty much that everything from Genesis 1 to Genesis 22 is um, story, mythological, and uh, there to give us, ha- have some teaching for us, but could not find a you know, historical basis for uh, those, those things. And so it, it kind of brought to the forefront um, that there were some issues going on that most people in the pew were completely unaware of. Uh, that this was, that book was published in 1961, which led to the recommitment of the Baptist faith and message in Southern Baptist life in 1963. In 1969, W.A. Criswell, then the president of Southern Baptist Convention, wrote a book called "Why I Believe the Bible Is Literally Why I Preach the Bible Is Literally True." Uh, which uh, was an attempt to speak back at uh, Eliot and others like him who proposed that the Bible was not literally true and not historically true. Um, and uh, so the dynamics were in place at that time. The, the 
a decade later, in 1979, some of the most public controversies around these things begin to swirl. And um, in 1986, a pivotal moment in the history of Southern Baptist Convention happened when the six presidents of the six Southern Baptist seminaries produced a unanimous statement from all six of them called the Glorietta Statement, in which they acknowledged that the Bible was true in all areas of reality, a very strong statement, and that their faculties did not always represent that and did not represent the balance Southern Baptists wanted. And they all committed themselves to adding uh, evangelical faculty members, more conservative faculty members. Well, that didn't go down very well with uh, many of the faculty members at the six seminaries, um, and there was not a great deal of unrest about the commitments that were starting to be put into place. But in 1987, the next year, I was invited to come to Southern Seminary, kind of a trial balloon, um, as a visiting faculty member to teach a class to see how it would go. And uh, it went extremely well by the grace of God, and my class was packed out, and at the class, you know, I preached in chapel, and um, they were standing room only to kind of see this uh, thing that had come to pass on the Southern Seminary campus, and um, and that was followed up with some other more, even more well-known conservatives who came as visiting faculty members, Carl F. H. Henry and Miller Erickson, also um, were invited to do that. But then there was a full-time opening declared in night for the fall of 1988. And I was the one that was chosen to fill that uh, position. And so that's when I became kind of a very visible uh, first person to affirm biblical inerrancy um, in, in the, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, to teach on the Southern Seminary uh, faculty. And the faculty, frankly could not have been more welcoming and uh, very supportive of me. They, they were not necessarily happy to have my viewpoint represented, but once they voted on me to come, to their credit, they worked hard to find a way for me to be a part of the uh, community. Um, I suppose it was easy when you only had one or two, just a sprinkling of conservatives on the faculty. The when Dean Chilla opened, I was, I was invited to become the dean because the board trustees had said to the president, we really want this deanship to be filled by an evangelical. And so they went for the person that they knew. Uh, and so I was invited to move into the deanship role. That was January of 1992. Then the presidency opened up, and in March of 1993, Dr. Albert Moeller was called to be the president at Southern Seminary, and Dr. Moeller invited me to stay on as his chief academic officer. And uh, at that time, it was more than just a sprinkling of conservative faculty members that were being added along the way, but now a conservative leadership agenda direction for the institution, which increased the tensions and uh, created uh, a some disharmony uh, at the institution, a lot of pushback from those who were there about the direction 
that school was calling. And um, it was some, some challenging days for sure, but God in his amazing grace sustained us all and uh, gave us uh, wisdom beyond our years and uh, ability to make good decisions for the future of the institution. And now 2018, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, the largest seminary in the world and probably one of the strongest faculties in the evangelical world and uh, it's an amazing story following 25 years of leadership by Dr. Moeller, but the transitions actually started five years or so before Dr. Moeller came, started in 1988, uh, and then that had grown uh, since that time, and um, that influence began to take place at the other five Southern Baptist seminaries. Uh, as well, so that now you have six very fine, healthy seminaries, very different from the way they were in the late 70s and early 80s. It's just an amazing story of a turnaround of a convention of an entire denomination. We've been talking to David Dockery, who's the president of Trinity International University, but let's take a break and hear from one of our sponsors. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Philosophy degree program is designed to equip leaders interested in building up the church. The PhD Biblical Studies program at Midwestern Seminary provides opportunities for advanced research and preparation in theology in an environment passionate about God's primary plan for the advancement of the gospel, the local church. Choose from multiple emphases and let your advanced degree open up new opportunities for ministry in our rapidly changing world. With our modular program of study, you can remain in your current ministry setting. But we've also recently introduced the residency, an experiential component to the PhD track where local doctoral students receive one-on-one coaching and mentoring and a community context in which to bolster their studies. Get your PhD today for the church. We're back from our break and ready to continue our conversation with David Dockery, who's been telling us about his own journey into Christian higher education. It is a remarkable story and uh, one that uh, history, uh, when we look at all of history, uh, stories like this just don't happen every day or every year or every century even. And uh, it's a testimony to, to God's mercy and his grace and his kindness. I couldn't help but uh, notice that when you were uh, giving us that very careful and, and uh, helpful chronology there, you, you mentioned Carl Henry and uh, how when you were invited in uh, 1987, you said, to, to, to be a guest faculty or a guest lecturer, um, Carl Henry was present as well. Uh, did Carl Henry have an influence on you, and and did the two did you, were, did you have the opportunity to get to know him during that time? Uh, I am blessed to call Carl Henry. I was blessed to call him a friend, and a men, he was a mentor in my life, and spent a lot of time with me, and wrote long handwritten letters on uh, yellow legal pads that I uh, treasure. Um, Just a wonderful, kind, gentle person, but a great mind, brilliant thinker, Mm. 
committed Christian, convictional theologian, uh, conversant with just about every theological stripe and issue that was in existence during his day. And in my, in my opinion, uh, the most important uh, evangelical theologian of the second half of the 20th century. Um, so, so, you know, having the privilege of getting to know Lord Erickson and Carl F. Henry very well on a personal basis, having studied with James Leo Garrett, um, I feel like I was blessed to know and benefit from three of the finest Baptist evangelical thinkers uh, of the last 75 years, and in many ways, three of the best of, you know, many, many years, decades, maybe centuries. So my, my life has been um, graciously blessed with God to for my life to intersect with the three of those men. I love that story, David, for so many reasons. Uh, one reason that maybe under the surface is it, it, re- it really tells us that uh, friendships, whether they are people that influence you or, or mentors, as well as uh, colleague friendships, are vital um, to the forming of one's own theology, to the recovery or renewal or reformation sometimes of an entire institution or denomination. And we see that in your own life. Um, I mean, sometimes Southern Baptists, for whatever variety of reasons, sometimes people think of Southern Baptists as as not the uh, uh, theological uh, intellectuals of the day. But uh, listening to your own story here, uh, Russ Bush and James Leo Garrett, um, Carl Henry uh, in, in his letters to you, um, uh, and so many others, uh, these are friendships and mentorships that influenced you personally, but in turn would actually influence uh, entire in- institutions that you would, uh, that you would lead. Uh, in time, you were elected president of Union University. And you served there for uh, nearly almost two decades. Um, and right. a, a, about four years ago, I think, you, uh, you were elected as president of Trinity uh, International University. Sometimes Christians are prone to think that theology and Christian leadership are two different tracks. Uh, one, uh, theology having little to do with leadership and leadership little to do with theology, but your career, I believe, says otherwise. Uh, tell us for a second how 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 has and how does theology uh, affect your role as a university president? Well, I, when I was uh, elected, or even when I was invited to talk to the search committee at Union University about. Uh, the presidency there, and, and Union's a wonderful institution, the uh, oldest institution still related to Baptist life, having been founded in 1823, so it has a long history and heritage, and so the opportunity to lead that kind of institution was a very special privilege, but I said to them, um, I am first and foremost a 
a theologian and uh, think I, my calling was to be a faculty member. And I need to, you to understand that my leadership will grow out of that. I, my, my vision for this institution will be a theologically shaped uh, vision. And uh, my understanding of how we relate to the church and society and culture be greatly influenced by my theological uh, convictions. And the search committee, you know, in God's providence, that the people who had been put together on that search committee said that's exactly what we're looking for. And uh, they welcomed me with open arms and welcomed that vision for uh, the institution. It's not the normal vision for an institution, unfortunately. Most uh, people are very pragmatic in the way they think about leadership, and I'm not anti-business. We have to carry out business principles in leading any institution, but it, institutions are not businesses, and uh, th- therefore they have to have a, a higher principle, a higher calling than to just succeed according to the bottom line. Of course, the bottom line doesn't succeed the institution can't function, so you have to have both. I'm not, I don't want to be misunderstood in what I'm saying, but uh, I, I think we have a, a calling to, to, you know, to honor God, to advance the gospel, to extend the kingdom, and for the uh, way we think about every class that is taught, and the way the curriculum connects, and the way we understand the unity of knowledge, all has to be theologically grounded in the way we uh, go about uh, our teaching and thinking and leadership and strategic planning and all of these things are carefully and closely interrelated. And so I, I am thinking of myself as a theologian uh, who's been given the privilege to lead, and uh, my leadership is shaped by those things. And also my theology is probably shaped by these leadership experiences now, uh, so that I think of it uh, in a very interrelated, um, integrated manner. And I, I think that that is healthy for institutions, because um, if institutions don't have this kind of vision, they cannot sustain a Christian identity and a Christian mission for the long term, they cannot maintain in the kind of evangelical bearings and compass that they need to move forward, and soon they cease to matter. And, you know, from my standpoint, better that they cease to exist than cease to matter, because once they cease to matter, then they are continuing to exist, but advancing a uh, non-Christian or lesser Christian or more secular um, vision for the institution that is not healthy for the students and not healthy for the churches with whom they relate. And so institutions are vital in the work of the kingdom of God. And sometimes we think of them only in kind of pragmatic, uh, you know, these ways of that uh, we, we don't understand the full significance that they have in shaping the lives of 
denominations eventually shaping the lives of churches and shaping the lives of individuals. And so I, I think institutions matter, and I think that the only way they really matter is to be rightly grounded in a biblically based theological vision. How true that is. I, when I think of my own life, uh, when I think back to my days as a university student, uh, I, I attended Biola University in Los Angeles, and I think about how critical, what, what an important role that institution played in introducing me to theology uh, as well as to a number of other subjects from a Christian worldview and the, the professors and leaders at that institution that influenced me. I, I think back to my own time at uh, Southern Seminary and and likewise have uh, could say some similar things that you have about uh, friendships and mentorships and those who have influenced my life. Um, it, it's that's reflecting on on my own past as an individual, but uh, you're exactly right. Not only do these institutions affect in individuals and transform lives of, of Christians, but um, in, in ways that we have not even yet seen, uh, they they affect uh, entire groups and movements and uh, the identity of uh, denominations and uh, evangelicalism itself. Now, ha- having been the president of not just one but two Christian universities, which I, I don't know too many people can say that, uh, you must feel at times the challenges students face to their, uh, their, their Christian, their evangelical faith. Uh, we've talked about how back in the 80s and the 90s, it was the challenge of Protestant liberalism. Uh, we could jump ahead to the 90s and uh, the late 90s and early 2000s, and, and, and there it was postmodernism. But as you look at our own day, and maybe as you look forward, is there uh, a challenge to evangelicalism and, and perhaps uh, students within evangelical institutions like your own? Is there, is there a challenge to evangelicalism that, that uh, you believe could threaten uh, evangelicalism's future? And, and, uh, or or maybe, maybe just a, a, a challenge that keeps coming up again and again that uh, – students and uh, future leaders should pay attention to? I think you're uh, right in asking that kind of uh, uh, question. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time now, as you had noted earlier. I'll start my 24th year as a university president in early 2019. So, um, so not too many people have, have that kind of opportunity, the average length of a university presidency is about six and a half years. And so um, I've been blessed to be able to continue and to and to, to do so as an evangelical Baptist and a Baptist evangelical. I've used that kind of language to describe myself for a long time. And I am a Baptist, I'm a Southern Baptist, and I've related to the evangelical world and but mostly I've related to the evangelical world from Southern Baptist uh, institutions like Southern Seminary or um, student at Southwestern Seminary or president at Union University. Uh, but now I relate to the evangelical world and, to, and back to the Baptist world from an evangelical institution. And you know, so the conversation's going in a different direction, but I've been privileged to 
to be a part of both and to see both and to see the differences between each one. And and here's what I would say is true about all of them, uh, Baptist and the Baptist and evangelical world, of which there is intersection, but they they're not quite uh, layered on top of each other. There are some key differences. Um, there's a tendency right now, I think, not so much to move toward theological liberalism as there is to move toward um, an uncritical social activism hmm. um, that um, is grounded in uh, some select teachings of the Gospels and is not uh, uh, thoughtful in the way of creating a, a holistic theological vision for how one has influence on society and culture. And uh, so I see in one direction uh, kind of a move towards what I would call an uncritical social activism. On the other hand, a pushback against that toward a more uh, pietistic, uh, unreflective, I don't want to use the word fundamentalism, but it's a more rigid um, way of working out the Christian faith. And I see both of those as potential threats to uh, the evangelical vision of, uh, of, a, of a Carl Henry, uh, who wanted evangelicals to be um, intellectually attuned, church-connected, culturally uh, engaged, and theologically grounded. And uh, the combination of those things creates a healthy dynamism that uh, can be lost if the vision is triumph or trumped by only uh, pietism on the one hand or social activism on the other. And just last Wednesday evening at the uh, Evangelical Theological Society annual meeting, had the privilege of giving the president's address at that meeting and laid out what I think is a theological vision for evangelical institutions and tried to say we need something besides a merely pietistic vision or a vision for social activism, both of which have good elements in them, and we don't want a Christianity that isn't uh, that doesn't have a, a underlying piety, and we don't want a Christianity that doesn't have the application into the social sphere. So there's there's truth in both of those elements, but I think that uh, when either becomes dominant, uh, we lose something, and I'm a bit nervous, uh, anxious about some things I see happening in our world, particularly in our institutional world. People are settling for one of those two options that I think are less than the kind of vision that we need to sustain our work for the decades to come. Well, that certainly is a needed uh, a needed word and a timely one, isn't it? Uh, your your presidential address that you just mentioned, um, I believe that will be published uh, sometime in in this in the new year. And uh, 
how how in many ways what you just said is a a prophetic has a prophetic tone to it i think uh in, in which evangelicals are having to wrestle with with issues of social justice and so, social activism in a way that uh it does pose some challenges and create some tension within evangelicalism itself whether it's a this like you said this tendency to to move to to a uncritical social activism um, or on the other hand, to, uh, to, to go in a more pietistic direction. We've been uh, discussing these important matters with uh, David Dockery. I would just say to our listeners, um, there's so many books you could pick up by a couple of other books that are more related and, and more recently published, but more related to some of the, the issues we just talked about. Uh, three in particular that were published by B&H include uh, Christian Leadership Essentials, a handbook for managing Christian organization. Uh, a second one called Faith and Learning, a handbook for Christian higher education. And then a third book, uh, also edited by David Dockery, called Theology, Church, and Ministry, a handbook for theological education. Uh, these three, three volumes um, are uh, certainly volumes that uh, include a variety of contributions, but each one speaks to not just David's own career and the wisdom that comes from it, but uh, to the future of evangelicalism and to the future of the church and theological institutions. Uh, I I can't recommend them highly enough to our listeners. David, thank you so much for joining me on the Credo Podcast. Well, thank you. It's been a joy to be with you. I'm grateful for your fine work, and I appreciate your uh, prolific writing and your influence on the theological conversations of our day. And so thanks for the the opportunity to have a conversation with you today. I pray the Lord's blessings on you and your good work. Now you can fill up on theology each day by visiting credomag.com. There you will find the latest issues of Credo Magazine with articles on key doctrines of the faith and regular video interviews with Dr. Matthew Barrett, where he answers some of the toughest theological questions of our day. Be sure to subscribe to Credo Podcasts to join the conversation, a conversation where doctrine matters.